Well, good morning. We're going through the gospel according to Mark, uh, verse by verse, line by line. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Mark chapter 1. Uh, there should be one around you. In a moment, I'll read uh, this text. I think some of you are getting ahead. And if you're reading ahead, I think even some of you as families are going through this. That's good because you know then just about everything we sang this morning finds its really find its theme right here uh, from Mark chapter 1 and the authority of Jesus Christ. When you come to Mark chapter 1 verse 21, that's where we'll be, there's a couple of things that you can do when you look at Jesus. You, you can run to him or you can run from him. We're saying how important it is to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. Have you, have you done that lately? Have you done that before? That, that amazement can draw you to the conclusion that he's righteous and, man, I, I'm a sinner. And I need him to do something about my sin. Or, this is sad, it can bring you to the conclusion you're, you're a sinner and you begin to justify yourself and, uh, and walk away from Jesus unsaved. I pray that today that you'll not just be amazed by Jesus, but you'll be transformed by Jesus, that you'll be changed. Mark chapter 1 tells us a day in Jesus' life. It's an amazing day. We'll actually take two weeks to look at this day, at least uh, a good portion of this day. And uh, and we're going to determine today, through Mark's help, that Jesus is indeed the authority from God. Take your Bibles, Mark chapter 1, would you stand with me, and let's begin reading in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Notice how there's a man, a demon's inside of him, but the pronoun has changed now to us. Maybe speaking on behalf of all the devils that are in the land, in the region, or in the world. But he asked the question, Jesus of Nazareth, what do you have to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. And he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, no doubt your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come to destroy the work of the devil, and he has. He's disarmed him at the cross. And today we stand in your presence with great hearts that you have not only overcome our enemy, but you have defeated our sin, and you set us free to live for you. 
We're no longer under the sway of the evil one. Our flesh is no longer controlled by that evil master. But you, our precious Lord, have come to conquer our sin and our flesh to lead us into a life of righteousness and a life set free from the habitual hauntings of sinful behavior. Thank you, Lord. God, there are those in this room who are living under the illusion that they are saved, but they are no doubt still under the mastery of the evil one and sin controls them. God, may your spirit move in their heart and open their eyes to the power that comes in Christ and only through Christ to save, not only from judgment, but God, from the constant habitual and soul-destroying acts of sin. You set us free from sinning. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, thank you may be seated. Mark will leave no question as to who Jesus is. And Jesus has amazing power, and people were wondering about his teaching. His preaching was so horrific to the demons that he cries out and calls on Jesus not to destroy him. So let's set the scene here. We've read the text. Jesus enters the synagogue, but he's also literally entering into Satan's kingdom. And uh, when he does this, the Lord is on the offensive. He's on the attack. We read earlier and studied earlier, and if you weren't here, uh, know this. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And it wasn't that Jesus was being attacked, but Jesus was on the offensive to show that he was greater than the devil. The devil is not a peer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a creation, and the Lord Jesus is the creator. Jesus Christ is not on same par then with the devil. So when he goes into the wilderness, he's going to defeat the devil and conquer him. And he does that without food, without any type of water, and he doesn't have friends around. He has one weapon, and it's not a physical sword, but it is the Word of God. And in the wilderness, our Lord Jesus Christ defeats Satan with the Scriptures. That's his weapon. If today we want to defeat the enemy, we have to draw near to God, James says. We, We then resist the devil and he flees from us. We have one weapon in which we can defeat the enemy and temptation that comes. And that's the Word of God. So no wonder, all right, no wonder, put this together, all right, no wonder when Jesus enters into the kingdom of Satan and then into this world, he preaches the Word. He enters the synagogue, he preaches the Word. There are two points to the message this morning. Uh, We're going to look at Jesus' astonishing preaching And so let's look at that first one. Now, Jesus arrived. He was preaching. He came with his disciples into Capernaum. Capernaum is a village named after the prophet Nahum. It is in the area where Herod Antipas is ruling, and it is steeped. I mean, it is steeped in paganism. It is far from Jerusalem, and so therefore far from the monotheistic worship of Yahweh God. There are all types of people from all types of places in Capernaum. The Jews who are there have been influenced by Greeks, and they worship false beings. False teachings are constantly in their diet. 
And there they prove what Satan really desires to do. Uh, Satan, we're told, has no new devices. In 2 Corinthians, we're not to be outwitted by the devil. Every time I read that text, I think of the game survivor. Don't be outwitted. We're not outwitted by the devil. If you were outwitted by the devil, you would think he has some new device, but he doesn't. He has one device, and that is deception. The devil seeks to deceive, and he deceives all types of ways. He now comes into our world just like he did in Capernaum with multiple teachers, with multiplicities of teachings in order to cause confusion and distraction, ultimately for deception, but in the end, destruction. He's very predictable. Everything Satan says is a lie. He's the father of lies, and he lies a lot, and he uses everything he can to to promote his lies. I was talking to a a school official this past week, and he said, pray for me. This is one of the most difficult times I've ever had leading in a school, and he said, if it were not for social media, you know, social media, he said, can be used for good, but I found that It's being used for far more nefarious purposes. That's from a principal in a school who says, pray for me because one of the biggest challenges for our students today, the information or the false information they're receiving on social media. We're not surprised by that. We know that the enemy has no devices, but he will use any type of device he can. Whether it is in your hand or a screen on your desk or in your living room or in a theater, or if it is people that are around you, or it's teachers that actually hold up the Bible and claim to believe it, but really don't, he will use anything that he can to deceive in order to destroy. He's very predictable. He's got no new new devices. He's, He's not come up with any new tricks. But on the other hand, Jesus is very predictable, at least in this sense. Everything the devil says is a lie. Everything Jesus says is true. Everything Jesus says is true. It's the truth. It trumps all facts. It trumps all theories. It trumps every bit of knowledge that we have. Jesus speaks the truth. So he comes into this synagogue, and what does he do? He does what's anticipated. First of all, it's anticipated that Jesus would show up at the synagogue. The synagogue was kind of like church. Uh, except the Jews went to church on Saturday. So every Saturday, uh, Jesus was predictable. His schedule was, in fact, he would go and be in the Sabbath every single Saturday. And every Saturday, where he was given the opportunity, he would, he would speak the truth. Now, what is a synagogue? Uh, a synagogue was a kind of an outpost of worship for the Jews. Uh, the temple was in Jerusalem. The synagogue was a place that could be established in, in a village where you had at least 10 men that could uh, lead in that place where elders were then chosen. Scripture was read by the director of the synagogue. Elders would talk about what the Scripture said. And on the special occasion, there was a scribe in town who was an expert at the law, an expert at the Torah. He would come into the synagogue and explain what was being read. Problem, problem, however. In Jesus' day, the scribes, had become self-appointed know-it-alls. I mean, they 
took the Scriptures and set it aside and had something far more important to say than what the Scriptures said. They were very creative. They were, in fact, people that were coming to speak what they called oral tradition. What they believed was that when Moses received the law, he received the law of God in written form and in oral form to be passed down by teachers and preachers. Therefore, they, the the scribes of Jesus' day, uh, thought they had the responsibility of telling people about God from their own perspective. That's smart, isn't it? How many of you think God enjoys us talking about Him from our own perspective? Well, let me ask you this way. Do you like being talked about from someone's own perspective? Do you like people to define you and identify you outside of what's true? How do you think a person should address who God is? By looking and see what God has said about himself. In Jesus' time, though, that wasn't common. The scribes there were teaching what they thought was really popular and what would be acceptable to the people. But Jesus came in and did something totally different. Jesus was teaching, and he was teaching with authority. Look at verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching. Why? He taught them as one who had authority. In other words, they were astonished. And the word there literally means that they were experiencing something they never experienced before. Um, in our vernacular, their minds were blown by what Jesus had to say. And it wasn't just that he was speaking from authority, but that he was authority. The scribes came in, or those who taught came in to teach to get authority, to get a following, to get somewhere. They're trying to influence people by what they said. Jesus, on the other hand, was authority and already had that position. And so when he spoke, people took note. This is not like anything we've ever heard. And then look at verse 22 at the end. He spoke not as the scribes. The religious leaders had theories. They had ideas. They quoted each other. They were very dynamic and fluid, and their theology kept developing. People love to hear them because, man, we're going to hear something new today, something we've never heard before. If they live today, if they were around today in America, they would be on every nighttime television show being interviewed about their thoughts. They'd be interviewed by Jordan Peterson. They'd be on the Joe Rogan show because they, they could tell you about diet. They could tell you about customs. They could tell you about how to better your life. I mean, they knew how to tell you to get better in life. And that's what they did. They came to the synagogue, and they just talked. They didn't teach the Word of God. So when Jesus shows up, the people are saying to themselves, this is a new teaching. What they didn't mean is Jesus is teaching something that hadn't been around. What Jesus was teaching was the Scriptures that had been at their disposal, but not being followed are understood. We're told uh, we need to be careful about what wisdom we get. There's a lot to listen to these days. Like you can, you can find something somebody has an expert on on any subject in the world. Like you get interested in something and you can find podcasts and shows and videos and there are no shortages of wise teachers in our day. People who want authority. And the reason that they want authority is because with authority comes follows and likes and money. But James says, be careful. 
James says, be real careful. He said, there's a wisdom that is not from above. A wisdom that's not from above. It's earthly and it's sensual. What do you mean by that? Well, it, it, it's earthy. It's down to earth. Sensual means it, 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 it attracts my soul. It reels me in, it, 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 it gets me emotional, and I began to listen to the teacher. But James says, be careful, that which is worldly, that which is sensual, is also demonic. Like he, it, it, it's not just humanistic, it's evil. There are two types of wisdom in the world. There's that wisdom that comes from above, and that wisdom that comes from below. And Jesus came from above, the Word of God, to speak the Word of God, and that's why the people are blown away at His teaching. I just want to ask you, how then do you spend time studying wisdom from above? Where, where do you get a lot of your, or maybe most of your information from? Jesus, He said to uh, the religious leaders who were accusing him of the most horrible things in Mark 7, we'll get to later, but Jesus was talking about Isaiah's prophecy, and he said, here's what Isaiah said was going to happen, and it's happening. What, what, do you, what do you mean, Jesus? Well, here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, these people would honor me with their lips, but their hearts would be far from me. That's you. And then Jesus said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition." So when Jesus came into the synagogue and he came into church, he came on a regular basis showing us how important it is for us to be on a regular basis on an every single weekend with the people of God, worshiping the God of this universe in order that we might receive wisdom from him. That's what Jesus did. He came with a different message, a message that wasn't new, but people weren't being taught. That's why in John... 746 people said, no one ever spoke like this man. Jesus' teaching was astonishing, and it was convicting. But now, second point, Jesus' power was amazing. Like, his teaching was astonishing. Why? It's the Bible, the Scripture. But his power was amazing. Look at verse 23. As Jesus is teaching, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now, just put yourself in the synagogue. I don't know what it looked like. I... I've been in some ruins of the synagogues there in Capernaum where maybe likely this could have taken place. But it's beautiful. I mean, the weather there is like what we've experienced the last two days. So just say you're walking because you walked to church and you walked with your family and it's beautiful. But it feels like it feels like outside right now and the sun is shining and it's just crisp and everything is wonderful. And you're just going to church like normal and you're expecting to have a, another normal day at church, except there's a new teacher that you have never met before, but you've heard about him and he's been invited to come and teach. And while you're listening to him teach, seated, seated there with your family, you are blown away. You've never heard anything like this. Your heart is being stirred. You're amazed at the truth. And in the midst of that, you're just there. You're just there with your jaw wide open, listening to Jesus. Imagine being there and then hearing the shriek of a demon in the back. Did y'all know the devil goes to church sometimes? I think he goes to church a lot, don't you? At least the demons do, these unclean spirits. And there they were. Here he is, an unclean spirit. Uh, an unclean spirit is a demon, a, a fallen angel. Sometimes they're called evil spirits in the Bible. Matthew 10.1 calls them lying spirits. 
1 Kings chapter 2.23 says they're angels of Satan. In Revelation 12.9, we see them as followers or angels or those who do the bidding of the devil. Satan and his demons have come to deceive the world. The Bible tells us that the devil is an angel of light. They spread false doctrine. Did you know 1 Timothy 4.1 says in the last days... People would succumb to doctrines of devils, the teachings of demons. They attack Christians. Satan's always on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour, First Peter 5, 8 tells us. And they are always at combat with the holy angels of God. We see this, particularly in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. We don't normally see them like this. I mean, I, I, I have been around people that have been possibly possessed. And it's been very rare. It's been very rare that I ever knew it. And reality is, the reality is that people who are possessed today don't pronounce or project some of this behavior. It's a different type of behavior that possessed people project. You, you mean, Pastor, you believe people still can be possessed by devils? Absolutely I do. It was an unprecedented Demonic activity during the time of Jesus. Jesus is entering to uh, the kingdom of Satan. He's plundering, as he said, uh, the, the strong man in, in order to, 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 to rob his house. He's coming into the strong man's house, Satan, and he's going to bind him in order to, to overcome him. So there's an unprecedented panic in the world, and there is unprecedented demon possession that projects itself the way that we're watching here in this synagogue. Um, by the way, there's only uh, two other times where we're going to find demon possession outside the Gospels. And that's in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 19. And after that, you don't see it. What, what is Satan doing now? Is he still active? Is he still involved in this world? Of course he is. Satan rebelled against God. We see this in Isaiah chapter 14 and in Ezekiel chapter 28. We read in Revelation chapter 12 that he convinced a third of the angels in heaven to come with him. And these demons are been, have been roaming this world to deceive. And sometimes they take possession of physical bodies. Possession occurs when a person is completely then controlled by a demon. Do you believe that there's demonic activity in this world? Listen. We don't live in a merely material world. Satan loves the theory of evolution and the idea that we evolved out of physical matter and all that is is matter. But I think all of us know there's far more to this world than what you can hold in your hand or see under a microscope. There's a spiritual element in this world. Have you noticed in these days in which we live, there is a a lot of attention given to the supernatural, like even more so than I think ever in my lifetime. Where there's more talk about unidentified flying objects and foreign beings coming into our world and spiritual forces and uh, inanimate objects or, or beings being, be, being, be, being kind of uh, showing themselves. All of this is to confuse. All of this is to distract people's attention from the truth. Demons can possess. Possession occurs when someone is controlled by today sin. I'm not sure how possession completely works. I've read different things. I've read lots of books on the occult, more than I really wish I had. But I think about Judas, who was full of greed. 
And Satan entered his heart to sell Jesus for 30 measly pieces of silver. Or King Saul, who was so full of hatred and jealousy that he was regularly visited by an evil spirit. In other words, evil spirits, lying spirits, demons, fallen angels, can control someone who gives themselves over to habitual sin. We give all types of names to habitual sin. We call habitual sin sometimes addictions, disorders. We have all types of fancy ways of explaining why people continue in their pathway of self-destructive behavior, except for oftentimes the real reason, and that is they are under the influence of the devil or demons. Um, I do believe that. Now, devils are not to be feared. We're told that the devil only can do what God gives him permission to. We see this in Job chapter 1 and 2. We see in Ephesians 6 that we can stand against the wiles of the devil as Christians. And though Christians can be attacked by Satan, we can never be possessed by Satan. We are already possessed by spirit. Y'all, if you're saved, you are possessed by the Holy Spirit. But the devil will constantly come against us as we see he doing with the Apostle Paul when Paul prays for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. And we see that thorn in the flesh is a messenger, an angelos, or an angel from Satan or a demon that is buffeting Paul. What do you do when you're buffeted by Satan? What do you do when you're tempted and you fall under um, the temptation to, to obey the mastery of your old your old leader, your old Lord. Every one of us before we were saved had a Lord, a master. It was Satan. He would tell us what to do and we'd do it. He'd control our flesh. He'd put thoughts in our minds. He would run rampant all over our brain. And then we would fall into that temptation by obeying. We don't have to anymore. We don't have to fear the devil. The Bible says this, draw near to God. Draw near to God. There's just times when you have to draw near to God. The Word of God is the weapon that is used against Satan every time. And there's just times where we just have to get to the Word and get in the Word and say it is the Word of God that will change my mind, transform my thinking. I mean, it wasn't been that long ago where my mind was being bombarded, being bombarded by all types of thoughts that I thought, God, help me with these thoughts. They were all over the map. And I was reading my Bible and I said, you know, how shall a young man take... Uh, cleanse his way by taking heed to the Word of God. So I just began reading the Bible. And the whole time I'm reading the Bible, have you ever experienced this? The whole time I'm reading the Bible, I'm not even thinking about what I'm reading. I keep having to drift off and I have to come back to it. But I kept praying, God, take control of my mind. Take control of my mind. And you know, through that experience, and what I found is there was a time and a moment where I don't remember when it was, but I'm reading the Bible, and now I'm not thinking about anything but what is in the Word of God. The Word of God, how shall a young man take and cleanse his way? By taking heed to the Word of God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is the Word of God that cleanses our soul and takes control of our thought processes. It is powerful. No wonder the weapon Jesus used in the synagogue is the weapon he used in the wilderness. It is the Word of God. It's that powerful. Evil spirits are not to be feared, but they're not to be taken lightly either. Evil spirits, they are not to be entertained. They are to be taken seriously. And we live, I think, in a a moment in time in October where we could talk about this for a little bit, right? 
where it seems like everywhere you turn, there's some celebration of darkness or death or destruction or the devil. We have a we have a granddaughter that's 20 months old, and so you know, as children grow up, they start learning how to talk. It's awesome because she can say "granddaddy" now. And uh, now, you know, when they begin to talk, what comes next is question after question after question, right? So the question she asks now is, "What is that?" And you answer, and then she says, "What is that?" And you answer it again, and she says, "What is that?" But it was the other day when she was pointing at a yard that had witches and goblins and all those inflatable things that you get at I don't know where. And uh, she's asking, what is that? What is that? Um, I want to say, it's devil stuff. Wait a minute, Scott. You're about to step on our toes. We got to step in our yard. Well, I just want you to think through some things with me, all right? And everyone has to make some decisions on different matters of conviction. But nowhere ever should a Christian celebrate death and evil and demonism. We're children of the light. We're children of the day. Our greatest celebration is the resurrection day of our Lord, which we come and celebrate every Sunday, every Lord's Day, and especially at Easter. Why? We don't celebrate death. We're not to. And we're not to give over our attention to those things which are evil, we have as Christians a worldview that says we know what evil is. And it's not, it's not ethereal. It's just not floating out there. When our president said that Hamas is evil, he made a theological statement. Evil doesn't just exist out there as some sort of force of nature. It has a face behind it. We as Christians can identify it. We as Christians can see it for what it is. What's behind all evil in this world is the enemy of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, our enemy as well. We see evil personified. And there's always a purpose behind it. That is why we ought not be entertained by it, right? We shouldn't be entertained by it. I know that we've gone from the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, to whatever's out now. I don't like horror movies, y'all. I dream too much. But I don't like them for the purpose that we began to dismiss devil as nothing more than a fairy tale, something that we can be entertained by. We all have to make our own decisions on what we're going to do. But I want to encourage you to do this, to be careful that we are people of the light and that we teach our children that the real authority in this world is the Lord Jesus Christ and to train them up in holiness, to revere Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to fear demons. We don't have to fear evil spirits because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Back to the scene. Here it is an unclean spirit inhabiting a man and interrupting the worship service. Just let that thing get for a moment. The devil does go to church. He goes to church on this particular day. I wonder if maybe this man had been to church a lot. But what was being said by the so-called teachers or the scribes that showed up didn't really bother him. But when Jesus speaks, he shrieks. Here he is, shrieking out. And what does he scream out? Look at verse 24. 
What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Notice, first of all, he calls him Jesus from Nazareth. The one from Nazareth is a scorn. It's a little bit of a mock. He's scorning Jesus for taking on human flesh. He calls him, however, Jesus, which is a name that means salvation. He recognizes in Jesus not only salvation because Jesus would be willing to become a servant, become a human, to become this man, God in human form, but that too, he's come to judge. Have you come to judge us? He sees all of the sudden Jesus Christ and wonders if this Holy One and the holiness of God has come to judge him. Jesus silences him at once. Look in verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent, come out of him. Silent, why? Jesus did not need any press from the devil. He didn't need promotion from a demon. He did not need anything from that side of creation. It reminds me of Acts 16. The apostle Paul, he's preaching the gospel with Silas. A little girl's following him around. When I say little girl, she's grown And she is full of the devil. And she says to everybody who's listening to Paul preach, listen to him. He is preaching about the Most High God. Paul does not look at that and say, hey, can you retweet that or re-X that or whatever you call that? Paul is very moved with indignation that the devil would be promoting his ministry. That brings confusion. That brings a cloud of doubt. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. Occasionally, I'll meet someone, they'll say, hey, this person right here, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about them. And and two things go on through my mind. I wish I could say that. I wish they would never say anything bad about me. But also, I realize there's sometimes people going to say things bad about me because they say bad things about Jesus. And when you speak the truth, there's going to be an effect. Beware when all men speak well of you. Jesus did not need devils promoting his ministry, so he silences this one who was calling out. Now remember, Mark is writing to mostly a Roman audience, and they need to see that Jesus' teaching is truth, and his truth is being affirmed by his ability to heal and to cast out devils, and is being proven here in that he has authority over evil spirits. And Jesus then says to this one, be silent. Notice this. This is not an exorcism. Jesus does not ask the name of this demon. Only on one occasion does Jesus do that. He asked a man who's full of demons, what is the demon's name? The demon says, we are legion. And then Jesus turns around, cast out the legion of demons, but he doesn't use their name. Jesus does not use any type of prop. There's no holy water. There's no symbols. There's no rituals. There's no incantations. Jesus simply commands and the demon obeys. By the way, that's the only thing the demon can do when Jesus commands. When he comes out, verse 26, he convulses the man crying out with a loud voice and came out of him. He shows the demon does what his intended goal was, to hurt the man. Luke tells us about this account that this man was unharmed. And now we see that he's unchained. He's free, finally. What do you do when you sense that someone may be under the influence of 
evil spirits or maybe even possessed. Don't go Hollywood. We can't cast out devils. There's only one who can. And when Jesus commands a devil to come out, a demon to come out, he has no option but to come out. What we can do is do what Jesus did when he went into the synagogue. And what Jesus did when he went everywhere, we can proclaim the gospel. Do you know what someone full of the devil needs? They need the gospel. They don't need an exorcism. They need the truth. They need Jesus. They need to call on the name of the Lord so they can be set free from their sin and from the clutches of Satan. Paul told us that when we preach the gospel, we help to rescue people who have been ensnared by the devil at his will, 2 Timothy 2.26. Y'all, our goal, our role is to do what Jesus did, and that is simply to preach the truth, the Word of God. Verse 27, when he does this, all were amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, some new teaching with authority? He commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. What an incredible response. This is truth over traditionalism. They might finally have heard what it is to be under the Word of God. So verse 28, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region in Galilee, and they were amazed. Amazement's not enough for them, is it? They, amazement's not conversion. It's not salvation. It's not being set free from our sin. And it's not being set free from Satan. The demons were horrified at Jesus' teaching. The people were amazed. John MacArthur said this, Amazed people, amazed people are sent to the same hell as horrified demons. We sang, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, but one of the verses says, He, Jesus, took my sin and my sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. When you come to understand who Jesus is, he's the Lord of the universe. He's the God of all creation. He has authority over all things, including me. He made me and he made me to know him, therefore has authority to save me from my sin in the past and my present situation and all future sin. He has the power to save me, not only from hell, which I deserve because I've sinned, but from the present power of sin so that I could live for him, to be unchained, to call him Lord and to follow him as my king. If you say Jesus is Lord and, and you stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, have you come to him for salvation and are you set free today? Are you still in the habitual pattern of old sin that you've not yet been set free from? See, with salvation comes salvation. Not just from hell, but from living like hell. God didn't just save you for heaven. That's glorious. But to make you live like you're going there. Have you been saved? Have you truly been to Christ? Have you been set free? All those who know the truth know Jesus are free indeed. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you have given us this text to help us to understand this spiritual world we live in, a world that we not, ought not fear, but we ought also to revere in this sense 
There's a real battle for our soul. There's a battle in this universe, and there's a battle in the air. Organized powers, Lord, to come against us to destroy us. Thank you that you come to disarm the devil and the demons. You have come to overcome. You come to destroy the works of the devil, and you have. And Lord, today, every one of us can be set free from our sin and from the snares of the devil through salvation. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?